You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of NCBA's Beltway Beef. I'm Hunter Ehrman, and today I'm joined by two very special guests, NCBA Chief Counsel Mary Thomas Hart and Senior Director of Sustainability, Dr. Samantha Worth. Mary Thomas and Sam are coming to us from Ireland, where they are in meetings to highlight the sustainability of American beef production. Mary Thomas, let's start with you. Why is NCBA sending representatives to the sustainability conference in Ireland? You know, when we talk about sustainability in beef production or livestock production, it's not insulated to one region or even one country, right? It's an international conversation. And to improve the overall sustainability of our industry globally, we have to be involved in international discussions with stakeholders from around the globe. So we've had the opportunity today and tomorrow um, to meet with agricultural groups, livestock producers, academics from around the world and hear about innovations uh, that are being implemented in beef production supply chains um, in other regions around the world. It's been incredibly informative and, and we've learned a lot. Sam, what factors go into the concept of sustainability and how do you view sustainability in the cattle industry? So sustainability is pretty typically defined by the three pillars, right? Um, uh, The example of a three-legged stool is often used of social, economic, and environmental issues. And the idea being with that three-legged stool, if one of them is off balance, the stool's going to tip over, right? So you can't talk about sustainability without thinking beyond that kind of more common environmental perspective that's often talked about. You really have to think about society um, and you also have to think about the economics of everything. So, I mean, U.S. beef is the most sustainable (laughs) beef product in the world, right? We, We do things at such a rate of efficiency. We've used innovation and science for years to advance beef producers across the nation um, and help us to produce the most product with the least amount of impacts and the least amount of harm on the environment, which all tracks back to profit for our producers um, and a healthy food product for our society. So Sam, just to dive a little deeper into that, what makes U.S. beef production so much more sustainable than beef production in other countries? Honestly, it's that ability that we've used for decades now to continue to advance um, and continue, you know, we have a real big focus here on continuous improvement in everything that we do, be that in our BQA certifications to ensure optimum animal health as well as employee safety, right? And that's a huge part of sustainability. Um, And it has demonstrated how an industry can get behind an effort like BQA to really change what's happening, but also change the narrative, right? Um, Animal health has always been a huge consumer concern. um, And the U.S. industry is really a a poster child, if you will, for health and safety in our beef production. And consumers can feel confident that we're supplying not only a sustainable product, but a healthy and animal conscientious product. Mary Thomas, I want to talk about NCBA's sustainability goals that were released last year. How do these goals relate to the issues NCBA is working on in Washington? Sustainability truly is um, a lens through which we view all of the policy that we work on at NCBA. 
NCBA, whether it be, you know, environmental regulation, animal health policy, um, transportation issues, increasing producer profitability. All of those factors play into whether an operation and ultimately an industry is sustainable. And that's why NCBA decided to set public sustainability goals uh, back in 2021. And our four goals address the three pillars of sustainability. We notably have set a goal to demonstrate the climate neutrality of U.S. cattle production by 2040. And, and the science tells us that we're well on our way to achieving that goal. We also have goals related to worker safety, producer profitability, and maintaining our, our natural resources for the consuming public, right? Whether it be um, people who, who want to enjoy uh, living in rural America um, or people who want to enjoy beef. We, we know that U.S. cattle producers contribute so much to society, um, both through through the product, through the beef that they're producing, but also through the ecosystem services that they provide. Our goals highlight that and give us the opportunity to, like Sam said earlier, continuously improve the, the work that we already do. Sam, let's talk about the data for a moment. Much of the existing data has a faulty methodology that doesn't capture beef's full impact. So why does the way we measure emissions matter to the sustainability conversation? As many of your listeners will know, cattle are ruminant animals, right? They produce methane um, as a byproduct of digesting feed. Um, but what is often um, in current methodology, for instance, the GWP 100 methodology, that's kind of that standard used um, internationally to put methane and other greenhouse gas emissions on the same scale as carbon dioxide. It doesn't take into account the actual warming effect of emissions um, or the lifetime of those gases in the atmosphere. So um, what I mean with that is that in the traditional global warming uh, GWP 100 methodology, we look at everything in relation to carbon dioxide. And in that picture, we calculate methane emissions as being 28 times more potent than one molecule of CO2. Um, so when you're looking at the beef industry, that doesn't paint a very good picture, right? We produce a lot of methane emissions more than CO2 emissions. Um, so it puts our carbon footprint much higher than, say, a vegetable product. The difference or the issue there is, like I said, it's not accounting for the lifetime of that emission in the atmosphere. And it's also not accounting for the warming effect. Um, so there is newer, um, more accurate methodology that's come out of the University of Oxford called GWP star, where it actually takes into account the time that methane spends in the atmosphere, as well as the warming effect of that molecule while it's in the atmosphere. And in doing that, you get a better representation of the actual impacts of methane. So I guess to take it even into a deeper dive, <laughs> methane stays in the atmosphere and has a warming effect for 10 to 12 years on average before it is destroyed in the atmosphere back to carbon dioxide and then can be used in the biogenic carbon cycle to be deposited into plants through photosynthesis. Um, by contrast, carbon dioxide sourced from fossil fuels, once emitted, is in the atmosphere for a thousand years. So that's a tenfold increase in the time that that gas emitted is impacting our environment. And it also means that with a situation like in the U.S. where our cattle herds have been relatively stable 
over the years. We're, as long as our cattle herds stay stable, we are simultaneously destroying methane at the rate we're producing it. It provides a mass amount of opportunity when we talk about mitigating methane emissions. If we can, if we can utilize advanced technologies, advanced genetics to make cattle uh, produce less methane emissions, then we'll have a proportionally greater impact on reducing a warming effect on the climate. But if we maintain where we're at right now and that's not changing and it's staying stable, we're not adding any additional warming to the environment from the methane cattle are producing. So Sam, there's been a lot of talk around Google's new emissions calculator. That is a new feature that's going to be unveiled soon. Can you tell me your concerns with this feature and why Google's data might be flawed? I mean, the main concern I have with that, um, the news on that release is that we've yet to confirm the official sources of that data um, that they're using to characterize um, emissions from different food products. Um, so that just in general is, is a little bit concerning. We want to have transparency when you start to make those sorts of comparisons in a consumer facing way, as Google intends on doing. We really want to make sure that the consumers are getting accurate information. And beyond that, that methodology will likely not be utilizing that GWP star methodology that I mentioned. So um, it's not using the most up-to-date methodology or the most accurate methodology, which is a misrepresentation of the emissions associated with beef production. Beyond this, it really it takes that that idea of sustainability, which I mentioned as the three pillars, right? Um, and it boils it down to one part of one of those pillars. So CO2 emissions, the impacts of greenhouse gases is one part of the environmental pillar of sustainability. But when you think about cattle production and all of the things that Mary Thomas already covered in terms of the uh, incredible benefits to cattle production, especially here in the U.S., you're leaving out a complete picture. You're not thinking about the ecosystem services that are delivered through grazing cattle across our vast landscapes. You're not thinking about the human health implications, for instance, of suggesting that a more quote-unquote sustainable meal option is going to be to substitute out your beef patty with, say, a plant-based alternative. You're not thinking about nutrition implications, what that means for, say, a growing child or a mother who those nutrients are vital to their growth and development, right? Um, and vital to a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. So really not giving a complete picture, especially as it relates to cattle production and especially here in the U.S. Well, Sam, like you mentioned, uh, sustainability goes far beyond just those greenhouse gas emissions. So can you dive into what some of the uh, economical, uh, societal and nutritional benefits of beef are? From the economic standpoint, beef cattle production plays a huge role in our rural economy, right? Um, cattle production from from the cow calf all the way through to packers and processors and even retailers, there are hundreds of thousands of jobs that are employed because of the beef industry, right? Um, so we are a critical part of fueling the U.S. economy. Um, beyond that, it supports a lot of rural economies, right? Um, and in terms of of the social side of things, I mean, there are so many different parts of, of beef production that is critical to our society in terms of the nutritional aspects I already mentioned. Um, beef provides critical nutrients that you will not get in any 
animal or non-animal sourced food, right? Um, that was something we actually covered here at the conference today was really looking at a deep dive into the health implications of removing animal sourced foods from a diet and beef plays a critical role um, in not only protein for our country, but also in terms of um, micronutrients like iron and folate and B12. These are all things you can't get from non-animal sourced foods. So Sam, what is your response to anti-agriculture groups that say consumers need to stop eating beef to protect the environment? It's just an inaccurate representation and it's putting the blame on consumers. A consumer's diet choice is not going to be the thing that makes or breaks the sustainability of our futures. Food production as a whole in the U.S. produces less emissions than transportation, electricity combined by miles. Um, (laughs) So to say that to choose not to eat beef is going to be the save all for our society is just it's it's a gross simplification um, that really leaves out all of those key points we already talked through. So to close out, I'd like each of you to share what your key message is to attendees at this sustainability conference. So Sam, why don't you start? I would say my key message um, at this conference in particular, being that it's international, is that livestock and beef cattle in particular are a critical component of a sustainable future. We are not going to be able to feed 9 billion people in 2050 if we do not utilize livestock and cattle in particular for everything that they provide for us. Mary Thomas, what do you have to add? Our conference this week is with a very uh, technical group of, I'm going to say, experts in our field. Uh, I feel like every five minutes I'm learning something new and I have pages and pages of notes. Um, But the key for all of us at this meeting and all of us in the industry is figuring out a way to effectively distill the science to consumers, um, because until we're able to effectively pass that message on, um, we'll be stuck in in kind of an industry echo chamber where, you know, we all already eat meat. We, we understand the benefits, um, but the challenge now is to figure out how to effectively share that message with the consuming public. So, you know, definitely, that's definitely my biggest takeaway from this week. Um, And so excited to get back to DC and, and figure that out. Well, thank you both so much for joining me. Enjoy the rest of your conference. Thanks, Hunter. Hunter. This has been another episode of Beltway Beat. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.